0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Over the last few weeks, I've been in a war I've been in a fight, a battle is what I would call it between me and our ice maker at our house. And uh, this battle has waged on and raged on uh, the ice maker came with the house when we bought the house. It's, it was there. We, we, we've never had an ice maker before, and it wasn't until it started acting up that we we discovered that these these things are expensive. All right, they're expensive, real expensive. People are proud of these, and especially this one in particular, uh, because it makes uh, sonic ice uh, or nugget ice is what you call it. It's a nugget ice maker, and so um, that's that's special. And so this thing broke and I decided to try to fix it. Well, uh, the way it broke was this continual pattern. It just kept doing the same thing where it would work fine for a little while, right? Like I'm talking like two, three months, fine. No issues at all. And then all of a sudden we would notice that it started uh, collecting water in there. It was supposed to be draining. The pump wasn't working. So it's collecting water. We would uh, take all of the ice out and then it would all of a sudden just shut off like it didn't get any electricity and I was checking everything the best I know how. And uh, so then we would unplug it, which is hard because you are, it's not hard, but it's a challenge because you got to pull it out of the cabinet and you got to crawl back in there and unplug this thing. And then we'd wait a little bit, plug it back up, and then it would work for a little while. Like I said, three, four months. Started going out, Finally died. And as I said, I have decided to fix it. And so this has been going equally bad. All right. This has been a really bad thing. I pull it out of there. I undo the water. Got to do some plumbing. I'm not a plumber. And I got to take this outside in the garage so the water doesn't get everywhere. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's been like a million and a half degrees outside. And so I'm working in the garage. Um, every single time, I kid you not, every single time I worked on this thing, I cut my hand um, like bad. I cut it real bad. During the Bible presentation, it started bleeding again while I was standing up here. This ice machine and I, I'm telling you, it's a fight. It's a battle. I would take it apart, diagnose the problem, but I'm not a machinist. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not an ice machine, fixer upper guy, you know? And so I just try to figure it out. Then I order a part, two, three days later, it comes back, it comes in. Then I take it apart, cut my hand, put the piece in there, you know, and then I would wait a couple hours or a couple days and find out that I either misdiagnosed it or I didn't install it right or something like that. Watching YouTube videos. This pattern has repeated itself over and over and over, day after day after day, week after week after week in my house, in my garage. Uh, as I have been fighting and wrestling and warring with this ice machine. And, And maybe you haven't tried to fix something, you have no business fixing, but I'm sure that you have had similar cycles in your life, right? Things that like are just not going well. They just keep getting worse. You try something different. It goes worse. I've, I've heard about this in romantic relationships, right? You go and you date somebody and they turn out to be a, a creep or something like that. And, and you're going to try a different app this next time. And hopefully that'll work out, you know, or something. I don't know. I don't, I, there were no apps when I was dating. So, um, so I don't know how that goes. And you go, I just don't know how to make this any better. It just keeps getting worse. Or how many of you would admit, this is me your diet is going okay all right your diet's going fine and then chick-fil-a comes out with the peach shake again and and it's just back into that cycle back in the cycle it has a power over me that that peach shake you know or your finances are fine you've got a budget you put the little numbers in there maybe it's smart Excel sheet that sort of stuff you're doing fine and then Amazon Prime Day comes up out of nowhere. And you got to get it. It's on sale. It might not be on sale later, you know? And so just blows your budget. This pattern, you can feel it coming. You know what's happening over and over and over again. Bad death, blood. It's a bad situation. Well, the Jews had a similar pattern. In the Old Testament, over and over again, there was this repeated pattern. And... In our text today, in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6, the pattern for the northern kingdom of Israel stops. It just ends. God had had enough. And that pattern was ended. And although it ends several thousand years ago for them, for us, when we examine this pattern, what we realize is regardless of your age, your life stage, that sort of stuff, we find that often we are in this pattern that we repeat the very same pattern that they repeat. My prayer today is that we would see our lives in this and just as their pattern ended, I pray that our pattern would be interrupted this morning. I pray that our pattern would be short-circuited. Let's pray together and then we will read a little portion of the text and then study it. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach this word. God, I pray as we study this morning, where it is so very painfully obvious that we repeat this same pattern. God, I pray that we would look it square in the eye, that we would not hide from it, we would not make excuses, that God, we would confront it and then we would allow you to interrupt it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together, amen. The text, six through 20, is our text. I'm gonna read really four verses for you all throughout as we skip through it, it is a summary statement. It is sort of in just a few verses, what would that be, Uh, 18 verses or 14 verses, something like that, in 14 verses, it's just summarizing the fall of the Northern Kingdom. Now, obviously, the fall of any kingdom is gonna take a lot longer than 14 verses, but this really summarizes it. And in a way, it summarizes that pattern You can read, if you read verse 7, 13, 14, and 20, you can kind of see the highlighted verbs in there and and see what the pattern is, or at least the end, the summary of the pattern. It goes like this, that they sinned against God, and yet he still warned them, but they became obstinate or stiff-necked, and so he rejected them. That's the the stages of the pattern that is repeated all throughout the Old Testament and then ultimately comes to an end here with he rejected them. Their kingdom falls. As I said, this pattern is repeated all throughout the Old Testament. It it, it sounds different when you look at different things like God blesses them and they receive the blessing then they walk away from him and God warns them and then he judges them over and over again. So let's take a look at those four stages of the pattern. The first one is that they... Sinned. It says that the disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned and because they worshiped other gods. Take a note here, real quickly, that the disaster happened because your life will often have negative things happen to it, right? You go through circumstances or situations and it doesn't feel good. And and through talking to your small group leaders or your pastor or a friend or something like that, it's often kind of tricky to try to determine what the cause of that is. It could be that you are going through something hard because God is um, refining you. Refining would be a good word. I used trial last service that's not a great word refining would be a better word right god is using the circumstances to make you more patient or more compassionate you know that happens sometimes sometimes bad stuff happens to you because god is refining you that's true sometimes bad stuff happens in your situation what we would declare as bad because we live in a fallen world surrounded by fallen people like it's it's not your fault It's not God refining you. It's just stuff happens, all right? Bad things happen. You get sick or somebody T-bones your car or something like that. It's just we live in a fallen world. That's sort of the circumstances that happen. And it can be tricky trying to determine which one of those is at play. Especially since there's this third option which we often do not want to accept. And sometimes bad stuff happens to you because you did stupid things, all right? This is a direct result of something dumb you did, all right? You did something bad. You did something evil. You knew better and did it anyways. And so there were negative consequences, all right? And these three things can be at play. And again, it is tricky sometimes to know what's happening in those circumstances, we try to navigate it so we know how to respond. There is no question here. This disaster, the fall of the Northern Kingdom, the death of thousands of people, the disposing of a king, the the ruining of a building, this disaster happened because they sinned. This was a direct result of them doing sin, all right? But sin um, is a tricky word for us, right? Because even though we use the word, and I use the word, you use it, we could all use it in a sentence. Could you define it? Could you define it? Could we take a piece of paper out and a pencil and write out sin is noun? You know, whatever else, you know, noun, English. How how would you define the word sin? Well, thankfully, in this text, it kind of gives us a explanation for the reader. It says they sinned, and because they worshiped other gods, this and is not necessarily like they sinned and worshipped other gods. It's more of a, uh, of a continuation, an explanation. They sinned by, in other words, worshipping other gods. So that means... What do you think it means? That they were worshiping Baal and Asherah, these false gods of the ancient Near East in the Canaanite Valley there. This is uh, Baal being the god of uh, rain and, and storms and that sort of stuff. They would often sacrifice children to this god. Asherah being the goddess of fertility. Uh, often, depicted as Baal's mama all right so these were the gods that they worshiped at that point the Canaanite the people around there and the Jews were falling into that worship and so there's some of us that would sit here and think well this is good because I don't do that right this is a bad thing that leads to disaster but I don't worship false gods I don't worship Baal or Asherah I don't know anybody that like gives fruit to the little Buddha man statue. I don't know anybody, you know, sacrificing their children or or giving candy to this false idol. I don't know that. So I'm good. I'm clear from it, right? That's the way that we think. And so we kind of let ourselves be removed. We feel a little safer. But if you look at the very next verse, it says, not only that the people of Israel sinned, they worshiped, they lived their lives according to the customs of the people around them. See, it's further, a what is sin? Sin is worshiping false gods. What does worshiping false gods look like? It is living your lives according to the customs of the people around you. That we do. That one we do, right? It forces us to kind of look in the mirror and take an assessment or uh, uh, take an inventory of our lives. Let me ask you this, if we were to, to put you on display If we were able to see your thoughts and your minds and your hearts, your passions, if we were to line all of that up, what is your major goals in life? What is your maximum pursuit? What is it that you are trying to do? And how are you trying to do it? Would it be any different than every other person that lives in our culture and in our world? Would you being a Jesus follower, a follower of God, a church goer, a good Southern Christian, would it have any real difference to the way that you raise your children? So the way that you um, think about technology and its influence on your life, the way that you interact with politics or other people, people different than you, would it have any influence into your actual belief system? The sad reality is that when we look at the way that we live our lives, For most of us, it's exactly the same script. We're following exactly the same script, exactly the same pattern and passions, these sort of things. So when we are so quick to judge the Northern Kingdom and say, how could they live that way? How could they be that way? The reality is we look in the mirror and find out that we live that way. Are you a person that lives your life primarily based on faith, trusting in God, or primarily based on fear? Well, this might happen what if this happens? I need to make sure this doesn't happen. Do you forgive or do you hold a grudge? Do you pattern your life after Jesus or some other fallen hero? Are you sacrificial in what you get or do you hoard it? Do you keep it, saving for a rainy day or more than enough for a rainy day? How do you pattern your life? Does it look any different? For them, they didn't. They patterned their lives exactly how the rest of the people patterned their lives. They were intermingling the name of God with the habits and the lifestyle and the culture of the people around them. We talked about this on the Lead Off podcast this last week, but one of the things that we often think about when we think about Baal worship or Asherah worship is that it's like these psychotic kind of crazy people. They're out there doing stuff. They're like the fringe. They're out there doing this weird stuff. But listen to me, what they were actually doing was they would walk around with the name of God on their shirt, right? They would say, I'm a Yahwist. I, I follow Yahweh. But yet they would do these other things that were not the ways of God in order to provide for their family. They weren't worshiping Baal because they thought that this would be cool to to give fruit or or vegetables to a statue. They were pursuing rain so that they could provide for their family. They were pursuing uh, success in order to provide for their family in a way outside of what God had planned for them. They weren't worshiping Asherah because of the pagan prostitution practices and the, and the male and female prostitution that would happen in the Asherah worship. That it wasn't necessarily pleasure-based, although I'm sure that that was an element of it, but it wasn't necessarily pleasure-based in that they were trying to um, build a family, to create a family, to conceive children in order to prolong their, um, their way of life, that sort of stuff. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this, They had the same pursuits we have. They were trying any way that they knew how to achieve what they thought was good. The problem was they just were not doing it in God's way, God's plan, God's timing. They went outside. of. And listen, we do that all the time. All the time. God gets to determine exactly what songs I sing and and the book that we all talk about when we come in this room. But when it comes to uh, marriage and family planning, when it comes to my career, when it comes to providing for my family and and the decisions I will make in my career and the decisions I will make in my education, then that's something that I'm going to figure out. I will let um, some Time Magazine's list of of the jobs that will pay the most determine my whole life schedule apart from what God wants me to do. Here's the deal. This happened thousands of years ago. This happened this week. We live our lives in a way that ghosts God, that rejects him, that says, I will carry your name. I will say I'm a Christian. I just won't live like I'm a Christian. And so even in that Could you imagine God's position in this in which he created them, he provided for them, he's compassionate, he loves them. And then they reject him. They just toss him aside like he doesn't matter and replace him with some statue they crafted with their own hands. And even in that, you see God's compassion. It says in verse 13, still, still, even though they did that, the Lord warned them. He let them know, look, the way that you are living your life is gonna be worthless. The way that you are living your life is going to end in destruction. The Lord warned them. I'm listening to a podcast called The Standoff. It's about a guy, a San Antonio drug Lord. And uh, he gets arrested and stuff like this. And he ends up uh, holding the Huntsville prison there in Texas hostage. So it's really fascinating. All all kinds of stuff going on in that story. That's fun. And one of the little stories that it told about this guy, uh, Frank, Franco Gomez something like that is that he walked into a bar one time and he warned everybody He walked in the bar and he said he warned he said everybody calm down. Nobody worry. I'm just here to kill one guy Could you imagine me sitting somewhere? You're like at Chili's or Walmart Somebody walks in with a mask and it's not even COVID related. They just have a mask um, Like we used to wear masks and a gun and says, you know, don't nobody else worry. All right I'm just gonna kill one guy the rest of you just go on about your business. That's what he does He walks in. There was a guy there named Lavaca who was sitting next to El Chivo, which if you know Spanish means the cow and the goat. And so he walked in there and he was going to kill Lavaca. And uh, so it turns out it was his cousin. He stole $80,000. So he shot him in the back, right? And Lavaca doesn't do anything. He just sits there and he takes another drink of his beer. So this whole story has me all like wrapped up in it, you know. And so he shoots him again and Lavaca falls to the ground and El Chivo falls to the ground. And then the barkeep walks around the side and he has his own gun. He walks around the side and he confronts Franco and uh, the guy pistol whips him in the face. Boom, like that, and he falls to the ground. So three people are falling to the ground, barkeep, the cow and the goat. And uh, he looks around at everybody and he says, I told you, I'm just here to kill one guy. Everybody else calm down. He's like, he he was mad that they didn't listen to his warning. I was mad because the podcast doesn't make a bigger deal about how the goat fainted, all right? And so like this guy got shot, but the goat just fainted. He wasn't shot, but they just said it like it was just hanging out there, low-hanging fruit, you know? God warns the Jews, but not with his pistol, not with his threats. He warns them with prophets and seers. Our word would be preachers. He warns them with preachers. He sends people into their lives that were supposed to tell them, this is the word of the Lord. This is what God says. And listen, God is sending people into our lives all the time. He sends into our lives pastors and preachers and small group leaders. He sends into our lives parents. He sends into our lives Christian friends who are saying what God was saying in verse 12. He says, you cannot do this. Do not live your life in this way. You must not do these things. We've all lived and learned and regretted times where somebody who loves us tells us, don't do that. Like, you know, and they might say it a nice way. They might say, look, you got to make your own decisions. But if it were me, I wouldn't, you know, that sort of stuff. But we don't listen. listen the message that was brought across was very simple, saying, turn from your evil ways. Turn around. You're going in a direction that's going to lead to destruction. You're going in a direction that is far from God. Turn, turn back toward God. Turn back towards God. What I find interesting about this is this is the very same message that when John the Baptist shows up and he's preparing the way of Jesus, the exact same message. He he showed up, he's standing out in the wilderness, preaching, turn, repent, and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and produce fruit consistent with repentance. And then Jesus comes and his very first message is repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that repent word means to turn that's the like, same word repent turn turn back but we don't listen we have preachers today we have people today that share messages and we don't listen look i was uh, perusing social media um some time ago and i became a little overwhelmed a little discouraged i don't know if you're feeling this way here lately but there was this dread that came up within my heart because I don't know if y'all remember but the last two United States presidential elections were pretty tough they were pretty tough on relationships they were really hard on churches they were hard on church leaders I'm looking through Twitter and I'm thinking man we already started this one we're not even in the primaries we're already at each other's throat we're already doing these things and you had preachers standing up constantly telling people look this isn't the end of the world there is no messiah on capitol hill you can trust god vote your conscience and still love one another you can do that we've done that as a country for a very long time and yet even as i stand here now there's this sense within me that feels like it's sort of wasted to even say it's like we would prefer to fight We're just gonna headlong straight into this thing. We're gonna make enemies of people that we only saw sound bites of, and we are going to attack one another. It feels like it's wasted. It feels like we would rather go this direction than a godly direction, which brings up the next phase of the cycle, verse 14. But they would not listen. Instead, they became obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord, their God. Obstinate is, uh, one direct translation would be stiff-necked, stiff-necked. And the best way I can explain this is, you ever been around a toddler or maybe a puppy and they have something in their mouth and you ask them, what's in your mouth? You ever done this? What's in your mouth? And then you try to get it out of their mouth. How many of you have ever done this? Just shake your head. Yes. It is impossible to get all of a sudden they have this like superhuman or super canine strength in which you are not you gotta like stick your fingers in there you think you're killing this kid you know and you try to get it out and then they open their mouth there's nothing in there they just just wanted to fight you you know that sort of stuff that defiance or if you have a child and you try to turn their face towards you you know you're talking to them and they're being a little defiant that's what, you try to turn their face and you can't You can't feel like you're going to break their neck, you know, but they're just, they're stiff-necked. That's what God says about these people. They wouldn't listen. They were stiff-necked. And you know, what's really frustrating about that is that the people had the physical ability to see it. It was right there in front of them. They had the cognitive ability. It wasn't something that they couldn't understand. It's just that they refused to look at it. They just would not listen, consider, explore. They would not. And man, does this not define our world, our culture? People all bunkered in on extreme sides of whatever the issue is, whatever it is. And it does not matter what you bring up in front of them. Says, you, you know, you can look right there in the face. You can be somebody they love, somebody that loves them, and you can say, hey, friend, listen, I love you, but have you considered how the way that you're considering this subject is inconsistent with Christianity in this way? And they will look at you and say, I don't care. This is what I believe. This is what I want. This is where I'm going to go. It doesn't really even matter what the topic is. We've become so Obstinate, So stiff-necked. Two times in the Old Testament, there's a story of the Jews doing this. One is right after he frees them from Egypt, um, they're wandering around the desert, right? They just, they're not even really wandering yet. They're just crossing into the desert. And Moses goes up on the mountain, he gets the Ten Commandments. And when he comes back down, he finds out that the Jews had taken all the gold and stuff that they got from Egypt and they made a golden cow. And they said, "Lavaca, you know, This is who delivered us from Egypt, knowing full well that that's not what delivered them from Egypt, right? Just full well, and they are worshiping this cow and God says to them, they are, or God says to Moses, they are so stiff necked, I just rescued them and they would rather look and worship at the thing that they've made. Fast forward a little bit and the people, the Israelis are on one side of the river, the promised land is right there. They had just seen God provide for them for 40 years. They had seen Egypt uh, destroyed in their own wake. God had proven himself strong again and again and again. And they're afraid to cross the river because there's there's some boogeymen over there, right? And God says to Moses, they are so stiff-necked. They won't even consider it. They won't even cross God says in verse 15 that because they had worshiped, because they had given their lives to these worthless things, they themselves had become worthless. If you live your life, invest in the fake or in the worthless, you have wasted your life. You have spent the treasure God gave you on rubbish. And that is tragic. Listen, so many people live and die and and waste their lives. They pursue constantly some sense of safety or some sense of pleasure. When God has given you a mind and abilities and a heart to love and to be compassionate and to make a difference in your world. And yet so many people don't do that. They waste their lives. They are what God calls worthless. God being the only thing worthy of investing our lives in, we invest our lives in the worthless. And so this real problem comes where They have sinned. They have lived their lives like there is no God. God warns them that that's going to lead to destruction, but they become obstinate. They become stiff necked. And so the Lord rejected, verse 20, all the descendants of Israel, punished them, and handed them over to the plunders until he had banished them from his presence. That rejection part is the real gut punch, that's the real kick in the teeth. This is the idea that God has withdrawn his protection. He has withdrawn his blessing. It's like living through a drought, which we can all relate to, right? No rain and the crops die and the flowers no longer bloom and, and the grass struggles and the plant struggles and the, and the dirt becomes cracked and hard and, and our souls are that way. If God were to remove himself, these blessings that we don't even know about, he takes them away. That's what he left them. They lived so obstinately, so rebelliously under his protection, and then he just removed it, and then they fell. That sort of rejection. We've all faced, felt rejection before, right? You can think about it in like a a romantic sense, and that's pretty easy to understand. But what about like, has this ever happened to you? you? You apply for a job? and you get like an interview or something like that. And you start to think, I've got this job, right? I feel good, the interview goes well. You, you, you jive with the, with the interviewee, that sort of stuff. Everything's going well. Maybe it's gonna be a little bit more money. Maybe you can live in an area that you want to live in. Maybe it's got some benefits or it's gonna afford you opportunities. And so you and your spouse or you and your friends and stuff, you start planning like you have the job, right? Y'all looking at it like realtor, you're moving, right? You've picked out a house and you're planning all this stuff. You maybe told a few people, you maybe told a coworker, you're out of here. This is, And then you get that email, you know what I mean? Get that email that says, thank you for your interest. We're moving on to another Canada. And that hurts. That stinks. That happens. It feels rejected. You feel less than. You feel outside of it. That same sort of sting, but at a much greater level is what God does to these people. He rejects them. He moves on. It says that he punished them and handed them over. And all of this is done righteously. Sometimes people will look at the Old Testament and just, it's like they just pick it up in the middle. Like, look at this God. Who would worship this God? He just lets his people be destroyed by the Assyrians. The Assyrians, horrible people. He lets them be destroyed by the Assyrians. But this is righteous rejection. This is their punishment that they well earned. This doesn't come out of nowhere. This comes out of thousands of years of God warning them, this is going to lead to bad. Don't do this. You should not do this. Don't go there. Don't do this. Don't live that way. And yet they do. And God punishes them. He rejects them. Listen, sadly, this is what the Bible tells us is exactly what awaits those who live their lives apart from Jesus. That if you live your whole life That if you hear time and time again, the preacher tell you, repent, believe in Jesus. You heard your grandmother pray. You heard your mama plea with you. Repent, believe in Jesus. Turn away from you making this all about you and turn toward Jesus. You hear that and you reject it and you become obstinate. You become stiff necked. Then ultimately God will punish you and turn you over. This is what we describe as hell. Oftentimes we think about hell and the worst thing about hell being like the flame, the fire that burns you for all of eternity, that torture, that pain. But the worst thing about hell is that this utter eternal rejection by God. You are no longer under his blessing. You are no longer under his protection. It's a tragic story. God's very own people whom he loved and blessed and protected and created, they rejected him. And he warned them, but they refused to listen, and so he rejected them. What is even more crazy and heart-wrenching is that this wasn't the first time. It is a repeated, constant pattern. Over and over and over again, this is what the Jews do throughout the Old Testament until this story when it stops. He doesn't bless them again. He rejects them, not until Jesus comes. But here's what's Scary would maybe be a good word for us. We do this same thing. We constantly live in this pattern. We are created. You were created. We were formed as a church and as individuals, set aside, loved and blessed by God. You were pulled aside. You were created. You were formed for a purpose. And yet we live our entire lives acting as if there is no God acting worse that we are God and that we will set our own agenda that we may claim the name of Jesus but we only give him a passing glance maybe once on Sunday three maybe two times a month but that's enough that we live our lives and pursuits and marriages and parenting like we can figure this out on our own or we will listen to other people. We don't heed the words of the preacher unless we want the preacher to stump for our candidate or to justify our rage. We live our own lives rejecting God, constantly rejecting him. And he warns us through our parents and through the scriptures and through our pastors. And yet we are so stiff-necked like dogs returning to the vomit. We go back, figuring it out our own way. But what if, it, what if you don't have to repeat the pattern? What if we don't have to constantly go in this way? What if the pattern is interrupted? What if it is short-circuited? Listen, this story, like I've said, blessing, sin, Warning, obstinate, rejection, blessing, sin, warning, obstinate, rejection over and over, year after year, generation after generation is the repeated story in the Bible. It is constantly the story in the Bible. But hear me on this. That is not the story of the Bible. That's not what the Bible is about. What the Bible is about is that God interrupts that pattern that we are just set in this death spiral and God steps in what if the warning is heeded what if when God preaches people listen and they turn and they trust Jesus who stepped in between our obstinate rebellion and God's eternal judgment, and he took all of that death on himself. When Jesus hangs on the cross, he takes all of that punishment on himself. He is turned over to death in your place. And the Bible says that if we will trust him, if we will believe him, if we will orient our lives and submit to his his kingdom, then we will be forgiven. The pattern is completely interrupted, it's broken. And what normally would end in destruction and death and judgment begins this acceptance and this life and this love and this purpose. That's what you are invited to do today. Trust Jesus. If you haven't trusted Jesus today, you do that. You pray right now, pray where you are. You're like, I don't know how to define prayer any better than I knew how to define sin. Well, then I will tell you this, just talk to Jesus. Tell him that you submit. Tell him that you trust him. There's a card in the seat back in front of you. You can grab that. You can fill that out. You can check that box. If you want to talk to us, we'll talk to you. We'll explain it. We'll walk with you through it as we do all the time with lots of people. We would love to do that. What I didn't tell you about the ice machine uh, fight that I was in was that on Tuesday, it ended. On Tuesday, that fight was over. See... When it first broke, we walked into the kitchen and there was water everywhere. That thing, I don't know what it did. It just put water all over our kitchen. We cleaned that up, I put it out in the garage and that next weekend, this is a while ago, that next weekend, I loaded that thing in the back of my truck and it is heavy, all right, super heavy. Put that thing in the back of my truck, barely, almost died. And then I go down to the dump and I'm gonna throw this thing away. It's, it's, it's like a boat anchor. It's a piece. There's no, there's no, it's, it's broken. And I don't need it, right? I just don't need it in my garage, don't need it in my kitchen. And so I get down there, but the dump was not open yet. And so I'm sitting there at this gate. It's closed. And it gave me just enough time to call Jackie about something totally unrelated. I called her and we we're talking about it. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to throw away this ice uh, machine. And she says, do you think maybe that we just call a repair person and, and see how much it costs and have them come and look at it. Just maybe just once, we'll try that out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think that makes sense. Cause like I said, the thing's super expensive. There's a hole in the cabinet. Let's try that out. Let's see how that works. So I have to go actually the wrong way in the dump and turn around and come back, come back to my house. And by the time I got back to my house, I decided I'm gonna open this thing up and fix it myself. Or at least I'm going to try. Who needs no stinking repairman, you know? I'm I'm going to try this out. And so that interruption is what led to a whole three, four weeks of a fight with me and that ice maker. On Tuesday, I fixed it. Fixed it good, all right? So it's in my kitchen right now, making ice. Perfect. It's quiet. It's beautiful. Sonic ice in there. I fixed that thing. But here's the picture that I want you to see that piece of junk wasn't doing what it was created to do, wasn't made to do what it was made to do. In its brokenness, it was destroying everything around it. It was worthless and on the pile to be dumped into the dumpster. And yet an interruption, redeemed it, saved it, fixed it, and made it good, right? That's what Jesus wants to do for you. We're caught in this cycle where we are constantly hurting everything around us, including ourselves. But Jesus wants to break that interruption. The only question this morning is, will you heed the warning? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday.